Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. We are now this week wrapping up our Summer Psalms series. And if you've been a part of Hope these last weeks, you know that we have been focusing on a particular kind of psalm, a psalm of praise. There's lots of different kinds of psalms in the psalms, but we've been focusing on these psalms of praise. And the reality is we're doing that because often we sort of assume that we have the psalms of praise as a baseline and we focus on other kinds of psalms like psalms of lament, and that's great. But this summer we decided we really need to make sure that we're sort of steeped in these psalms of praise. And so... This week, we are doing the very last psalm of the book of Psalms, Psalm 150. And so as this uh, summer now comes to a close, uh, my family and I had the opportunity to go on a trip. I was talking with uh, Sam Vanderpoy this morning, (laughs) thinking about what Joe has said in the past about the difference between a trip and a vacation. Uh, We went on this trip with my extended family, my parents, my sister and her family, and there were five kids, ten and under. So it's probably better to think of this as a trip rather than a a vacation, and that that proved to be the the experience again this year in in many ways. But we went out west. We got to go to Glacier National Park and to to Yellowstone and even Grand Teton National Park, and uh, in so many ways it, it was amazing. When I think about this trip, if you've been to these places, you can probably imagine uh, this imagery with me. But there are uh, majestic mountain peaks at these places. There's uh, astounding canyons, breathtaking canyons. There are very peaceful streams. There are uh, placid lakes in the foreground of mountain ranges. It, It is beautiful. Uh, there's so much in these places that are, are really awe-inspiring that very easily could be sort of smelling salt, salts to awaken us to the grandeur, the greatness of, of who God is. If these places are so amazing, how amazing is the God who made these places, right? And there were some of those moments for me. Um, I got to go stand up paddleboarding on the McDonald and sort of look at all of the mountains at Glacier National Park on the horizon. And that was one of those moments where I could, could really appreciate the grandeur of God. But there were other kinds of moments uh, during the, this vacation or this trip. Uh, there were some unwanted moments. Uh, there were some moments of feeling disappointed that uh, some of the, the skylines of these mountains were hidden by the smoke that's sort of floating eastward from the the fires in Oregon and California. There were hard moments, and uh, there was the annoyance at times of these kids under 10 uh, having an emotional breakdown and having to deal with that. Um, There were painful moments, honestly, hard moments, as you, if, if you've 
dealt at all with in-laws at times, or even some people in your own immediate family, there can be the hurt from misunderstanding, being misunderstood. Uh, There can be stress from trying to manage 11 people's expectation day after day on this trip. And there was even moments, honestly, of a little bit of anticipation of anxiety because we knew the trip would end. We knew that this fall was coming and with this fall would bring all kinds of sort of ambiguous changes of what is this next season of life going to look like. And so in the midst of the grandeur of these beautiful places, too often I find found myself distracted by just trying to manage life in a broken world. And I wonder if there are ways in which how I've described this trip is actually just a microcosm of how we experience life day in and day out. I wonder if those of us who are followers of Christ, we, we, we have the information. We know about how God is portrayed in the Bible. Many of us have experienced in very tangible, significant ways God's goodness in our life. We have opportunities and reasons to praise God regularly, routinely in our life. But at the same time, we also have challenges. We have struggles. We have things in our life that get under our skin, that distract us from the greatness of God that would inspire praise of Him. One of those things for us, we, when we got home, we discovered that there were groundhogs uh, digging underneath the foundation of, of our home. They had, made them, they had found themselves a home while, while we were away. And whether that's a literal thing like it is in our life or it's a meta, metaphorical thing, sometimes we have to expend so much energy trying to manage life in a fallen and broken world that praise of God can sort of fade to the background of our lives and seem like an afterthought because what requires our attention, what requires our energy is just trying to figure out how to make life work in a broken world. That makes a lot of sense, if that's the case for you. One of the other ways I I think that we can be distracted in addition to all of that is that we live in such a technological age. Also, there's there's other ways that we can be distracted from praise of God. Uh, Listen to what Alan Noble says about this challenge of distraction. He says, for the uh, 21st century person in an affluent country like the United States, the momentum of life that so often discourages us from stopping to take our bearings is magnified dramatically by the constant hum of portable electronic Entertainment, personalized for our interests and desires, and delivered over high-speed wireless internet. It's not just that this technology allows us to stay plugged in all the time. Listen to this. He says, It's that it gives us the sense that we are tapped into something greater than ourselves. The narratives of meaning that have always filled our lives with justification and wonder are multiplied endlessly and immediately for us in songs, TV shows, online communities, games, and the news. 
This is the electronic buzz of the 21st century, and it is suffocating. What I hope you caught from what Alan Noble says in that quote is that these distractions in a technological age are not benign. These distractions lead us to find meaning and find awe in the wrong things. So when we're using our thumb to scroll through our news feed and this uh, social media platform curates the posts that it wants us to see and we see the uh, advertising also, uh, this is a meaning-making experience. We are being told in those moments, whether we are aware or not, we are being told what matters. And the things that we click on, the things that we spend our time enjoying looking at, These are things, whether we are aware or not, that can elicit a sense of wonder or awe in us. The reality is that all of us praise something, whether we are aware of it or not. And sometimes even our distractions are a form of praise. And so the question this morning is, what might God have to say to us in the midst of these kinds of distractions I've been talking about? What might God have to say to us in the midst of being distracted from praising God when we are just trying to manage life in a broken world? What might God have to say to us in the midst of distractions in which we are enveloped in this technological age? Well, thankfully, we're not alone. And in fact, we're not all that different from ancient Israel Because you see, for ancient Israel, praising God was not exactly second nature for them either. It was a very different time, but they had their own forms of distraction, particularly anxiety from their being larger and bigger and meaner foreign nations constantly threatening them. Lots of opportunities to have focus and anxiety on that and to be distracted from God. So what might God have to say to us? In our distracted age. Well, let's read Psalm 150. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. But let me say a quick prayer before we, we read this text. God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Alright, so let's read Psalm 150. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So what I think Psalm 50 does for us, I think Psalm 150 answers four distinct questions. And these, the answers to these questions, I think, absolutely relate to our, our moment of, of 
our tendency to be distracted from praising God. Four questions are this. Where is God to be praised? Who praises God? Why do we praise God? And how do we praise God? So first, the first question, where is God to be praised? We see this in verse 1. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. It says, praise him in the sanctuary. Yes, it makes sense to praise God in a sacred space, in a place where we understand God's presence is there in a special way. But the psalmist continues and says, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him in the great expanse. You know, if, if it's true what John Calvin says, that all of creation is the theater of God's glory, then it would make sense that the place that God is to be praised is not just at the 4-H building on Sunday mornings. The place for God to be praised is everywhere. It is everywhere because God's glory is everywhere. Everywhere in creation is a place. Where God can be praised. But who is to be praising God? We see this in verse 6. It says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So who is to be praising God? Everything that has breath. This is a way of saying that really anything alive and really all of creation is to be to be praising God. There's a totality to this. This is not just to Christians. It's not just to Presbyterian Christians. This is a call not even just to all of humanity. But what the psalmist is saying is, is that it is proper and right for all of creation to praise God. Listen to what Bible scholar N.T. Wright has to say about this. He says... Why should we not look on the fruitful earth around us, whether it be mountains and lakes, or simply the plant on a windowsill, and celebrate the fact that it is all singing praises to its maker? That indeed is part of what it means when we say in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Unless our worship is joined more or less consciously with the praises of all creation, there should be a question mark as to whether it really is genuine Christian worship. So what Wright is saying is that the burden is not all on us as Hope Church on Sunday mornings to muster up in our limited strength and energy enough praise to praise God, the praise that he deserves. What Wright is saying is that Worship and praise is best understood, rather, as joining in with what all of creation is already doing. That even in our call to worship this morning, God is calling us to worship Him. But really, it's all of creation that beckons us to join in what all of creation is already doing in worshiping Him. The pressure is not on us in our limited resources to muster up enough strength to praise God. We are being invited to join with the rest of creation in doing what it is already doing in appreciating and praising God for who He is. 
Why do we praise God? You see this in verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. When ancient Israel thought of God's mighty deeds or His excellent greatness, they had two major themes that they would think of. The first is that God was their creator. The second was that God was their savior. So when they thought about God's mighty deeds, this is sort of shorthand for them immediately thinking about Genesis 1 and 2. Thinking about these beautiful poetic prose describing that God is the one who created all of creation. He is the one behind all of creation. and He is the one behind Israel's existence. But not only that, he is their savior. When they thought of God's mighty deeds, they would think of the Exodus story. They would think about those years of slavery in Egypt, but how God loved them so much that he freed them from slavery and he called them his people and he gave them a land. Now for ancient Israel, this was more than enough reason for them to give their praises to God. But for us as Christians, how much more reason do we have to give praise to God. We, we think about what Paul had to say to the church in Rome. In Romans 5.8 where he says. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. Christ died for us. When we think about God's mighty deeds. There is no greater deed. That has ever been done. Than what Christ did. In coming and dying in our place. To demonstrate that the God of the universe who created everything loves us, loves you, loves me. This is reason to give praise to God. So what about you this morning? What may be reasons that you could offer in your own mind and heart of why you could praise God? This may be kind of difficult to do through a mask this morning. But when we think about verse 6 and we think about um, everything that has breath, praising God. Even now, think about how the very last breath that you just breathed. You were able to breathe because God created you and God is sustaining you even now this very moment. Is that, is that hitting you at all? That your very existence, this moment, is because God made you. And because God loves you. Think also about this, this last breath that you just breathed. And the reality that if Jesus rose from the dead, and if he has given his followers the Holy Spirit, God is as present with you and in you as the last breath you just breathed. That alone is enough reason to praise this God, to use that breath to respond in praise to Him. Think about your last dying breath. Think about the promise that that last dying breath will not be the end for you if you're a follower of Jesus. That last dying breath is a new beginning and a good beginning. 
These are more than enough reasons for us to be the kind of people who, who praise God. But lastly, how do we praise God? See this in verses 3 through 5. It says, Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud, clashing cymbals. The second half of verse 3 has some instruments that I think uh, typical American Presbyterians can get behind. We see praising with lute and the harp. Now those kind of instruments are typically pretty soft, uh, contemplative instruments. Those are not the kind of instruments you would imagine at a rave on a Friday night, right? Um, Maybe even as you read those kinds of instruments, you say to yourself something like, Amen. But you say that in your mind, because you wouldn't say that out loud, because uh, that would be a little bit too much expression. Um, and I, I will say that uh, in light of verse 3, a typical Presbyterian expression of worship is not wrong. There's definitely place for soft and contemplative praise of God. But at the same time, when we look at the rest, the rest of these instruments, what do we do as Presbyterians with this idea of praising with the trumpet, praising with tambourine and dance while you do it, praising with clashing cymbals? And if you didn't think that was loud enough, let's repeat it again and clarify loud clashing cymbals. This is a little bit um, countercultural, so to speak, for, for a lot of uh, Presbyterians in, in, in the U.S. But the idea behind this is that God is worthy of, of exuberant praise. Amen. God is worthy of excellent praise, of effort-filled praise, of creative praise, of artistic praise. God is worthy of all, of all that we can give Him. That's the kind of praise that God is due. And we may have certain tendencies or certain inclinations of how we want to offer our praise to God, but it is worth thinking about how can I continue to give more of all of who I am in praise to God? Body, mind, spirit, soul. All of who I am in praise to God. That's the kind of imagery that is used here. And in a way, this is, this is very fitting. If we're going to spend time talking about the great deeds of God and the greatness of God, then God is worthy of, of this kind of praise. Uh, someone like Francis Schaeffer has something I think that's very prophetic for us to hear. He wrote this decades ago, but I think it's still re- relevant today. He says, we may know the doctrine by mental ascent without making the doctrine ours. And that is the reason we do not bring forth the fruit that we should. In the last analysis, it is never doctrine alone that is important. It is always doctrine appropriated that counts. We may know the truth. We may have the knowledge. But it has not been appropriated. And so it will not mean anything to us in practice. And the fruit will not be born. These commands in verses 3 through 5 regarding how to break praise I think are there. Because they paint a picture of how to appropriate 
the truth of the greatness of God. It's not just enough to know about the gospel and how amazing God's grace is in the gospel. The way that we make that real in our lives is by praising him for who he is. That is how we appropriate those truths into our lives. Now to close this morning, I want to acknowledge that this is easier said than done. Just because I've said these things doesn't mean that those distractions I described earlier just go away. For many of us, they're still there. It's one thing to know that we ought to praise God with all of who we are and join in the rest of creation in doing so. It's another thing to actually do it. If that's the case for you this morning, if you hear what I'm saying and you might mentally agree, yes, I I guess God is worthy of, of praise, but you find yourself struggling in your heart of hearts to give all of who you are in praise. I understand. It it makes sense. And I hope that C.S. Lewis might have something to say to you this morning that could be helpful. He says, we are merely, as Don says, tuning our instruments. The tuning up of the orchestra can be itself delightful, but only to those who can in some measure, however little, anticipate the symphony. Our most sacred rites, as they actually occur in human experience, are like the tuning, promise, but not performance. Hence, like the tuning, they may have in them much duty and little delight, or none at all. But the duty exists for the delight. Now listen to what he says. Changing metaphors here. He says, when we carry our religious duties... We are like people digging channels in a waterless land in order that when at last the water comes, it may find them ready. There are happy moments even now when a trickle creeps along the dry beds and there are happy souls to whom this happens often. So for now, our praise of God may feel more like the tuning of instruments rather than the symphony. And that's okay. Our praise of God may require great effort. It may feel like duty. Uh, But our praise can be like digging a channel and hope that the rains will come. Because if our faith is in Jesus, as we praise God now, even if it feels like the tuning of an instrument, we know and hope that the symphony is coming The rains, they will come. And they will fill this channel that we dig through our praise. And as Revelation promises us, for those of us who follow Christ, there will be a day when we join every tribe and tongue and nation before the throne of God. And we will praise God. And it will be genuine. And it will be joyful. And it will be natural. And it will be what God created us to experience. Amen.
Well, Joe is not with us here this morning, so let me let me continue. <laughs> um, we will not be. Uh, if you have your worship folder, um, we will not be doing the Lord's Supper this week in light of His absence. Um, but let me say a prayer, and then we'll invite the the worship team to come forward and to to close this out. God, I I pray that you would help Hope Church to be a people that praises you with all of who we are. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.